Hey, what's up? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Movie Dumpster. Today we're talking Bunraku from 2010, directed by Guy Moshe. I'm Joel Scola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor. There's always someone more powerful than you, McGraw. Welcome to the dumpster. I don't know if you're trying to protect me or replace me. Number two. I would never... Never what? You're just about running the show right now. The only difference is the risk is still on my head. What do you say? You want a shot at the title? I'll tell you who's more powerful than me, Connor. The person who edited this fucking movie. (laughs) Because let me tell you right now, there are so many random cuts to scenes that last for, I don't know, 30 seconds. You have a scene with Ron Perlman just tending his fucking garden that goes nowhere at one point. Yeah. By the way, Ron Perlman's in this movie. Yeah. It is star-studded. My goodness. It might be the most star-studded film we've done. Yeah. This is ambitious as fuck, and it's loaded with talent. And it's two fucking hours, and then you get done with it, you go, why didn't this land? Well, that's what happens. Like, so, like somebody's pitching you on this, right? And they're like, and they're telling you, and they're telling you all this great stuff, and you're like, yeah, I fucking want that in a movie. Yeah, fuck yeah, I want that in a movie. That like, that sounds awesome. And they're like, all right, here it is. And you're like, yeah, I can't wait to watch it. And then you watch it, and you're like, what the fuck happened? You used all of your ideas. You didn't even jettison a single one of them. Which there's some shit in this I love, and there's some shit in this I'm like, this can go. We don't fucking need this. This movie is also very creative i would say like there's a lot of love that went into this visually yes uh, maybe there's a lot of shit going on in this that probably would have found an audience but there's just too much of it let me paint a picture for the people at home listening to this episode just think of like the highest budget youtube movie you've ever seen and add like a few million dollars worth of production value and that's what this movie is yeah this is like this is a this is a an expensive independent movie and i don't mean like in terms of budget but you just look at what's going on on screen physically and you're like there's hundreds of extras in some scenes there are sets that are built from top to bottom that are that are moving structures there's both the best green screen i've ever seen and the worst green screen i've ever seen you have to kind of see it to understand why i feel that way the visual style of this movie as i've read in interviews because i I did pull some uh some quotes from people when i when i was reading up on this because i did some more research into it afterwards because i haven't seen this in nine years it it was all designed to look like folded paper and a lot of the sets were designed to look like paper mache intentionally so that was there was a very deliberate set like like look aesthetic to the film that's pretty consistent i have to say yeah that's what bunraku is though it's an it's an old um like puppetry uh style like japanese style puppetry and like silhouettes and all that kind of shit and this is where this the idea of this movie has too much stuff comes into play because it is that it is a western it is a samurai flick it is a revenge movie it's got big band and swing influences it's got soviet and japanese iconography um it has fight scenes that play out like a video game it has mini bosses it has a main boss it has a fucking mirror match oh my god yeah it does it has a fight scene involving a trapeze if terry gilliam directed kung fu hustle and it sucked (laughs) that's what this movie is i don't want to 
assessed like shelf or dumpster yet, but my general thoughts on this was like, this is good to bad to great to terrible, like all in a sitting. Um, and this movie stars Josh Hartnett, Demi Moore, Woody Harrelson, Ron Perlman, Kevin McKidd from Dog Soldiers, and Gact, who's a Japanese pop star. It's got music by Mike Patton, and still, it's like, you you still missed. Wait, 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 wait. Y- y- music by Mike Patton? The fucking guy is the narrator. The fucking lead singer of Faith No More. <laughs> like, what? As we come into the movie, he's telling us about samurais and revenge and killing and, you know, they're... No, no, Joe, you're not doing it right. It's everything has to be told like you're narrating a DVD from World's Fastest Police Chases. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one that I, yeah kinda I guess I'm I'm trying to do it it's like it's like and then there was the samurai let me tell you about a world where there's life and strife and knives and stuff <laughs> tonight at nine so this movie is about um again if this is the plot is even lofty basically um we've been shooting each other and blowing each other up for so long finally we we hit the big one and we we have the cataclysmic world war three where we blow up everything yeah where we blow ourselves back to fucking 1675 we blow ourselves back to the point where we're like guns are stupid but then everyone's like but knives are okay and ron perlman goes war war never changes <laughs> I think this is after Alien Resurrection. I th- it ha- yeah, it has to be. But um, in the the intro, it even says at the same way the sword gave way to the gun, the ga- the gun gave way to the sword, and then the whole world is kind of split into these little towns, like little territories. It's kind of like a post-apocalyptic kind of thing. It's just feudal Japan. It's feudal Japan, but also the Wild West and also Eastern Europe, because every extra in this movie has an accent as thick as peanut butter. Yeah, and it's got characters who who tap dance whilst killing each other. It has samurais with no swords. It has cowboys without guns. It has uh, funny western bars, but also, like, geisha dens and card-playing houses where an elevator is shaped like the chamber of a pistol. Absinthe hot tubs? I'm with it. But it plays out like a mishmash of, like, the man with no name and, um, like, a very tropey samurai film kind of meet in the middle and... Then they both kind of just interweave kind of out in and out until it kind of culminates with, you know, a big fight scene at the end. I guess that's my best attempt at plot crunching this. Well, you know, you understood this film a lot better than I did. I think we're I think we're done. I think we're done. You just, you you know, you just said the whole thing. Oh, God, no. (laughs) The movie opens with a literal Bunraku uh, uh, show. And, you know, basically the way Wikipedia explains this is like you guys were kind of saying before, it's like a Japanese puppet theater. And they kind of it kind of goes on to explain a little bit more detail where uh, basically it's a style of storytelling that uses four foot tall puppets with highly detailed heads, each operated by several puppeteers who blend into the background wearing black robes and hoods. Yeah. So, in, in the beginning of this movie, it actually, I will say, has some pretty cool art direction. I think overall this movie, you know, if if, if we could say anything about it, I think the art direction is pretty cool. I, I think it gets a little bit too much of uh, art project feel to it by the end of it. It's pretty slick. Uh, I, the, the intro animation is is really good, and there's an animation sequence later that I really like. And the way that they blend the practical with the 
CG is nice, at, at least in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Because you open up with this, uh, this, this basically this backstory that you guys kind of alluded to earlier, where it's talking about how you know, oh, there's always been strife, and it's showing like animals fighting and dinosaurs going at it. And then Mike Patton was like, "There's always a bigger fish." Yeah, yeah. And, it, and then it shows, you know, like Connor was saying, you know, people going to war, and man wants to destroy everything, and we we've, we've lost our way. My whole problem with this intro is like, we took away the guns, but then we gave birth to the sword and i'm like yeah but you're still killing each other like they're like oh there's a million ways to kill a person and there's not that many ways there's only three ways to bake bread and fuck and i'm like dude no matter what people are gonna kill people because that's just the that's the nature of our fucking stupid fucking it's the nature of humans right well i guess the whole point is they're trying to get back to you know square one with feudal japan with the whole ban on fucking uh weapons except you know right now it's like oh it's a post-apocalyptic so we can have uh josh hartnett dressed like he's uh from blade runner and have uh, this other guy dressed like he's from feudal japan this never really lands and it's just like eh, maybe sort of yeah it's because and the cheeky thing is like because there's no guns, Josh Hartman is playing a drifter who, and I, this is what I pulled from it, like, basically his fists are his pistols, and that's just more or less how he fights. Which is cool. Throughout this movie, he is one-shotting people left and fucking right. Yeah. There are so many things in this, like, in a vacuum that are really cool. Oh, uh, specifically regarding his character and a fight scene later on, I really want to talk about. But, um, this movie actually opens up with that animated sequence, and as Joe said, there's, uh, Mike Patton is, is just like... I will say, these narrations, he is going all in on, and whether it works or not is kind of up to the viewer, I guess, but, like, he's not not trying. Just when you think he's gone, he rears his fucking head, and he's like, hey, I'm back, and he's like, hey, this is, the samurai guy is going here, and guess what? He's in a bar. Are you ready for this? I'm still here. Life is crazy sometimes, unless you compare it to a rose, and then when the rose dies and the petals fall, our lives are just dusted. In the wind. Everyone speaks like they're about to burst into a speech, but it's just dialogue. I'm like, everyone can calm down a little bit. Every fucking thing is a goddamn Confucius uh, saying. You see a train come to town, it says, and on the train there's usually a couple of silent strangers. One of them is Josh Hartnett. One of them is Japanese pop sensation Gact. Yes. Who is not bad in this, although English is definitely not his first language. No, he's great. So, but they, they show you that introduction, but then we break off to t- the town center, where we basically get an introduction to how... This town and how few like territorial disputes are settled, and it's it's settled like uh, a combination of the warriors and chess is the best the best way I can sum this up because yeah you get into town center and people watch from the rooftops. The defending town is allowed to have twenty men show up, and the uh, the attacking team I guess is also allowed to have twenty men. No gambling though, can't bet on this. Yeah, no gambling, no gambling, can't bet on this. And the ruler of this town is Ron Perlman. He's called. He's also known as Nicola the Woodcutter. He never shows up to these fights. He always sends his number one, who is named number two. Well, yeah, because it's 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 implied that he is the number one killer in the world, right? And he he has like this number two that Connor's talking about, and he has like eight other. Or not? Or he has nine other basically bodyguards that are these like elite assassins who are all essentially fighting game characters for what it's worth. Like they're all kind of like one-dimensional gimmicky like combat dudes, except for Killer Number Two, who is my personal highlight for this film because he's like fucking Fred Astaire dressed like Matt Murdock when he just came out as Daredevil wearing an all fucking red tux and a red cane. The motherfucker's got white makeup on and red sunglasses. Yeah, he is a weird-looking pale blonde. Uh, effect 
effeminate guy who beats people with a cane and a handkerchief and does it whilst I can only describe him as tango dance fighting. Easily my favorite character in Soul Calibur. <laughs> fucking kill it no seriously though he's great in this fucking movie um he is really fucking good because he goes all in on this i love him in dog soldiers and he was fucking excellent in this film i think he, for me he's the highlight of this film he's fucking taking handfuls of that scenery and just fucking shoving it down his throat dude basically and now so his purpose in this scene in particular is that uh nicola is so confident in his reign as a sporting gesture every time one of these disputes happen he just sends more or less killer number two with the the other 19 dudes' formality, but killer number two is so fucking dangerous, he just wipes the floor with this whole other opposing team. Yeah. And does it whilst taking this strange pose where he kind of just sticks his hand out with a handkerchief and slides the cane across it and just listens and just waits for someone to move, and then when they get close enough, he just baps the fuck out of them. <laughs> Bap indeed. Fucking breaking motherfucker's skulls open. And, uh, and, and it's kind of set to this kind of, like, big band music, and every time he hits somebody, there's a 1960s Batman instrumental kick. Bloom! Bloom! <laughs> yeah, about that. I was going to wait to bring that up. This movie is dripping with Adam West and fucking Burt Ward's Batman. Yeah, there's fucking biffs and pals all over this thing. People have coconut heads, and there's there's funny sound effects, and people get hit, and, like, there's CGI blood, there's practical blood, there's all kinds of different effects you can imagine added to every fight scene. Uh, but this one's kind of straightforward. This one is just Kevin McKidd just annihilating people mm -hmm. until there's one of these dudes left to... Um, as he's kind of about to step up and fight Kevin McKidd, um, they kind of have a back and forth about how the killer system works, where I guess the killers can, like, fight amongst each other, or whoever dies gets replaced with the one who killed him, and they take a number. Right. Because I think this guy that was that was confronting him was, like, one of the lower-tier numbers, if I understood that correctly. I think it is, because he's, like, he's uh, he says, you know, you can just, you can surrender now, uh, and everything would be forgiven, either the part where you insulted me, and he's like, ooh, then what? You know, oh, join the join the woodcutter and take a number? No thanks. Yeah. There's, like, a list that they, they periodically show on the screen they all get a fucking fighter scorecard that pops over yeah. their head yeah it it's like and it fucking you know scrolls down the goddamn combat tower and shows us who it is so this dude kind of starts shit talking nicola and then uh from out of nowhere uh the wicked witch of the east steps out from the shadows and hurls an axe into this guy's forehead <laughs> <laughs> I thought that shit, I thought he was fucking Kung Lao, dude. I'm like, what's happening here? He is, his getup is ridiculous. It's Ron Perlman, for, for those who haven't been catching on, but, like, he has this lavish outfit that does have a purpose, but... Does it? Sort of. He says it does, but I don't really get it. He says it does, but the outfit's so fucking dumb and over the top, like, I can't really... He's basically Lydia from Beetlejuice, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> His life really is one big dark room, but there are pretty cherry blossoms in it. It's, it is a literal dark room because it's not allowed to leave his fucking headquarters, or at least, like, that's kind of the rule. He's he's backed himself into a corner in that department. We'll get to that later. He's on a fucking mountain, for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> All of this is your fault, Nicola. So, yeah, he steps out in the shadows and throws a wood-cutting axe directly into this dude's forehead, and we get blood spatter everywhere. This movie's violent as fuck. But not as bloody as you would think. Yeah, it is quite bloody, but it's still very cartoonish, and in some points it's very kind of pink watery. It's mild. But, uh, so yeah, this dude it takes an axe to the forehead, and then we get more of Mike Patton uh, kind of just dripping over dialogue. It, it revealing that apparently this Nikola character is, quote-unquote, the most powerful man in the east of the Atlantic. Question fucking mark. Yeah, which I'm like, that could be anywhere. No, no, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't why I got a question mark. The, the fact of the matter is he just hires, he, like, 
hires people, like, other, like, really good killers to, like, kill everybody else. I mean, at one point, he was the most badass dude, but that hasn't been in a long time. Yeah, even, even, he even says, like, I'm not getting younger. Yeah, but, like, that one dude he fucking wrecked, he was fighting number two for a little while, and then Ron Perlman just steps out of the darkness and throws a fucking axe in his head. Like, okay. You know what I mean? It, like, wasn't a fight. Congratulations, you you cheap-shotted a dude from 200 yards away. He's very much like Bill. Like, like David Carradine in Kill Bill. Like, yeah. that's exactly how this character plays out through this whole film. Even down to the climactic uh, moment, because instead of having, a like, a fight, they have a conversation. Thing here is it's boring, and there's and it never goes anywhere. He has a few moments where I'm like, this is interesting, but then it kind of goes on for too long. But, um, so from there, I believe we transitioned over to Josh Hartnett. Now, I have to say, like, every scene in this movie, as Sean has alluded to, is hit with a transition that is so lavish and elaborate sometimes like could you just cut yeah i felt like i got whiplash like six or seven times by the end of the movie i was like whoa slow the fuck down you are plucked like gta 5 where you pick a new character where you're just like you're thrust into the atmosphere of the city and then you land somewhere else you know in fact connor at one point i thought i was in gta 5 with the way the camera was fucking showing what was going on <laughs> there's fucking like people people dropping coats and doing fucking wipes into other scenes and then going into people's eyes and some of them are some of them are really fucking cool and really creative because sometimes I don't catch on to them right away. Yeah. But I'm like, you don't need to do five in a row, man. No. And you know what? More subtle, the the, the more um, the more subtle, the more stylish, in my opinion. So we transition to Josh Hartnett first because we, we meet characters in kind of a, a series of, 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 like, sequences here. We, we kind of meet our cast in a series of kind of, like, I would call them, like, boxing punches, where it's just like, here comes the right, and here comes the left, and here comes the body shot, and here comes the face shot. That's all your characters. How do they all meet? Because we're jumping from character to character, and they're like... And then in the fucking Eastland, and then, and then like the fucking CGI camera flies over a bunch of mountains to another fucking town. Yeah, well, they do that for, um, I think they allude to Nicola's fortress being, because a couple characters say it's, it's over some mountains and through some forests in a location that. To grandmother's house we go. It's somewhere out in the wilderness. No one knows exactly where. They know the general vicinity, but why the fuck would you go there anyway, I guess is the implication. Yeah, except all the red suits. Yeah, the red suits, by the way. These people that are with number two are, are basically. Ron Perlman's fucking lackeys. Yeah. These red suits. These fuckboys. Like they were pulled from a Soviet propaganda poster. You know in Dumb and Dumber, like when they get dressed up in the fucking, <laughs> the, the blue and orange suits? Picture that, but red. And like bowler caps, like the derby hats. They look like fuckboys wearing wearing uh, onesies. Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's 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 the red suits that look like, like factory workers, and the red suits who wear like red tuxes. Oh, okay. There's two different classes. They're like Sea Org. You gotta, you know, you gotta put your money in to get a higher rank. Yeah, so Josh Hartnett, he's walking down the street, and his character is basically... He's called the Drifter... Or the silent drifter or some shit. He's fucking Django, man. He's the man with no name. That's basically who his character is. And like, since he doesn't have, since there are no guns, throughout the movie, he does this thing where he slides his fingers across his hat, and it makes the sound of a gun chamber spinning, and it happens every single time he does it, and it got to the point where I was like, I saw it, I was like, that's interesting. It happened two more times. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. And then it happens six more times. I'm like, I fucking love it. It's so stupid. And he keeps doing it. Like, that's how he gets ready for battle. He fucking rubs the brim of his hat. Well, he's like Cavill fucking loading his arms in Mission Impossible. The Drifter's kind of wandering around. I think it's called, I think they call this part of the town, like, Old West Town because subtlety. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. All, all I know is he fucking grabs some fucking homeless guy's cigarette and takes a sniff of it. Yeah, what is that? Okay, so he has a couple different, like, 
quirks, I would say. He has a couple character traits that I was like, okay, you tried. Um, one, he's afraid of heights, which comes up several times. Is he? Yes, yes. I never picked up on that. Oh, yeah, because he, he always grimaces and makes a face and is very hesitant when having to, to either jump from heights, ascend to heights, or something along the lines. Oh, I thought he was just being Josh Hartnett. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Hartnett's actually afraid of heights. Guaranteed to jack you up by sniffing fucking cigarettes. What is that? Yeah, he also either has an oral fixation or he's an addict, because every time he passes by someone with a cigarette, a cigar, or some kind of smoking thing, he takes it and takes a sniff but never smokes it. Because he's got a pocket full of Lucy's, man. Yeah, his loose Nerf fucking uh, bullets that look like cigarettes. Because this, th- Yeah. It's like future cigarettes. It looks like someone took a fucking Nerf uh, bullet and just painted it white with a black tip at the end. Yeah, and like it looks so not like a cigarette because you see other cigarettes in the movie. You see cigars and cigarettes and other kinds of like like little joints and stuff. This thing is like a big plastic bulb or something. And it, I'm like... That must be to satiate a craving or something, because I never see him actually smoking it. He just puts it in his mouth and someone lights it. He's like a health-conscious cowboy? Is that what we're trying to do here? Yes. Like, I, I don't... I, it's it's confusing, and I don't really know what it's there for. The joke doesn't land, because it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's just, it, like, after he, like, it, it's... And he does it the weirdest times, like, cool, you slugged that guy, and you picked up his cigarette afterwards. That's weird. And then you smoked it. And then you smoked it after you sniffed it, but I'm not really sure if you enjoy it. He sniffs the cigarette, and then he, he can, like, magically see, like, the trail back to Woody Harris. Harrelson's bar. He's like, ah, yes, I remember. Just follow the fucking whiskey stink. Woody Harrelson and a few other characters in this film. I don't know if the production of this film was just really uh, haphazard and the costume design just was like thrown together last minute, but he has this wrinkly ass fucking jacket on the entire film. That's your big pet peeve. Frayed fucking corners on the jacket. What is this supposed to be? Oh, it's the, it's the apocalypse. So, of course, his clothes are a little messy. We just forgot to run him through the dryer. I always like the, the post-apocalyptic, uh, post-apocalyptic Western stuff because it reminds me of the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. You know, I mean, it is a different dimension or whatever, but, like, we have destroyed Earth basically and like we've reverted to like medieval times but we're cowboys and guns gunslinging is like the art of like gun uh uh uh, sword fighting i mean that's in the book though but like for this yeah and since we since like we like we as a society don't know what it means to live in the dirt so we just like go back on things we know from memory books and movies and history books and shit so we're like oh just fucking wear fucking cowboy attire and call it a day because who gives a shit wasn't it cool to like wear cowboy hats and shit and be like hey i'm rustling in the town give me some whiskey there partner let's bring back the 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 feuding states uh japan look yeah that's a good idea yeah let's just bring back the past even though we've never witnessed it well he's an oriental he's in Feudal Japan, that's what he's doing over there, but me. Well, okay, yeah, that character is detestable. So after a while, I was like, okay, this isn't the movie telling me it hates Japanese people. This is the movie telling me this character is a piece of shit and deserves (laughs) to die. So, yeah, Hartnett goes to Woody Harrelson's bar called The Horseless Horseman. This is my favorite scene because they're, you know, they always have, like, a piano player in a saloon, right? And this fucking dude's playing, like, a classical music on the thing, and then fucking Woody Harrelson throws a fucking, like, what the fuck does he throw? He throws, like, a fucking fucking rag at him and hits him right in the face and then he starts playing like fucking do 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 and that's that's a running theme throughout this scene because the 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 piano player is consistently changing his music to accompany the, the temperature of the room. And eventually, eventually he just leaves. I love it. But Hartnett walks into this bar and him and Woody Harrelson have this silent exchange where instead of offering any money for a drink, he offers a card trick. 
Uh, and he basically does this thing where he folds some cards out and kind of nods at uh, the bartender, which is his character's name, to take a card. Every time he pulls a card from the deck, it's the Joker. And Woody Harrelson's like, okay, yep, you can drink at my bar. <laughs> and the audience at home is scratching their motherfucking heads because that made no sense. Because I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, it's like, okay, all right, you're not really talking about this. I think I know what you're doing, but you should really tell us a little more. I thought he was, I thought he was like trying to play a game with him, like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to hustle him or something. Yeah, so there's also some, like, very deliberately shady-looking characters in the back who all have fucking, like, eye patches and steampunk goggles and fucking uh, Ushanka hats and, like, chains around their fists and funny-looking facial hair. They look like people who were too ugly for Watchmen gangs. They look like fucking Mad Max rejects. <laughs> they were all kicked out of Toe Cutter's gang. Yeah, they're like, yeah, he's like, get the fuck out of here. He's talking to Woody, and he mentions something about, like, oh, he wants to meet Nicola... Or he wants to get into this card game, essentially. Yeah. And uh, this fucking guy stands up. He's like, there's no gambling anymore. And Josh Hartnett just, like, looks at him. He's like, no gambling. Josh Hartnett literally breaks a fucking beer bottle and stabs this guy in the face because he says there's no gambling anymore. Josh Hartnett's character solves every single one of his problems with his fists. And I kind of enjoy it despite how stupid and reckless it is. I thought he just slammed a fucking bottle right into this motherfucker's face. Oh no, it cuts and shows him breaking it on the side of the table. Oh, okay. I thought he like literally smashed it into his face and it like exploded into his face. I mean, it wouldn't have mattered because really, I mean, he probably could use his hands because he he hits this dude this dude drops over and one of his cronies checks him and goes he's dead i am from poland or something i don't know where i'm from but all of us extras have very heavy accents the upper vest side well they're all staring at him and the one guy who who's pipes up is like oh oh man uh you know you really want to take us on he's like okay he charges at Josh, and the guy just punches him in the face, and he kills this guy, too. Yeah, is there, like, a, is there a bounty? He says, well, there's a bounty on that guy. He's like, no bounties here, either. And he's like, no gambling, no bounties. Like, how's supposed... I think he says, like, how's someone supposed to make any money here? Here's my question. This is supposed to be post-apocalypse. Guns are banned because they led to, you know, nuclear holocaust. Are you going to tell me in the years after this happened, people didn't come up with, like, better melee weaponry? It's just swords or fists and that's it? If it's not a sword or a fist, it is a literal piece of junk. Why doesn't someone have, like, a buzzsaw or a fucking chainsaw or a goddamn axe? Well, I guess I guess Ron Perlman has an axe, but... Because that would be too good. It's just like, you know, you look at Mad Max and it's like they nailed that. Yeah, I like the idea of the, like people having katanas but then like once you give them to everybody it's kind of just like eh, like i don't know a few ninjas are cool several hundred ninjas is boring especially like when all of your characters sport the same fucking weapon like these fucking russian dudes or whatever the fuck they are they should have i don't know like a fucking i don't know like a bear claw mace or some shit that would be fucking sweet or like give people crowbars or you know like lead pipes or something like yeah something brass knuckles the other is the other weapon that comes up in this movie which i like i'm like okay that's something that a character like josh hartnett would use because he's like he he only fights with his fists so the only way he can get stronger in that department is like his only means of leveling up is brass knuckles. Yeah, he's got to steal it from the fucking Batman Returns reject later. Yeah, so fucking Hartnett muscles these dudes around, kills them, scares them off, um, and then we move over to Gact. Yeah, it goes right to Yoshi. Yeah, who's char- who plays a character named Yoshi, who the first time we see him is on the train, he leaves, and then the next time we see him is this scene. He's going to his uncle's restaurant, uh, who's just called Uncle in the credits. Yoshi's quest that would bring... Now, we should probably say the Drifter's in town for what seems like a card game, but... 
over the course of the movie, his intentions become a little clearer. Uh, Yoshi is in this town because his father has sent him to find a medallion as kind of like a quest for manhood, basically. Um, but he has no, he doesn't know where the fuck it is, he doesn't know where to find it, and his uncle's like, fucking, who cares? Go pay someone to make a replica and then get the fuck out of my restaurant. And there's also, like, an implication, at least this is the way I read it, was that, like, Yoshi is from Japan, but I thought they were in Japan, so I guess they're not actually in Japan? They're in Little Japan. Yeah, I guess, like, nationalities still exist, but I guess if you do blow up the world... Um, you eliminate any sense of territorial lines, any kind of, like, former border- borders or anything like that. So, like, what was Japan is probably just a collection of, uh, like, nomadic cities and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but this isn't fucking mortal engines, dude. Like, there isn't just fucking na- nations driving around. Like, he literally says, I just came from Japan, and here I am in wherevers. Yeah, or like, or maybe some, because they don't go into it outside of this town, like, maybe some countries did better than others and can have some kind of sustainable, like, infrastructure, but are still a shell of what they were. But you don't know, they never touched it, so it's just, this dude's just from Japan. Yeah, I just want some of this sashimi, dude, because it looks amazing. Yeah, so like his uncle, he runs like a sushi restaurant, essentially. Yes. And sake bar. Uh, so they're having this dispute, and uh, some more red suits come into the fucking restaurant. <laughs> fucking barbershop quartet is behind <laughs> fucking Yoshi, like, red suits! Some red suits come into the bar, and as soon as they walk in, Mike Patton pops his head back in the door and goes, I'm back and here's some more red suits in the bar and several voices come in and sing the word red suits so they come and they immediately start causing trouble um and uncle runs up and he's like i you know i I paid my dues for the month leave us alone and this guy says with an accent just so dripping with wherever the fuck he's from he goes we have for fish so go chop some i don't know where he's from again he's from the fucking upper vest side (laughs) He grabs the fucking sashimi, he's like, oh, we would the fish, and he fucking, like, bites it and, like, throws it on the plate and then just, like, pushes uncle and cousin into the back? Yeah, cousin whose name is Momoko, uh, he kind of shoves them away, and the narrator also says, like, that Yoshi is practicing the Bushido Code of Jin, which I guess is Compassionate Warrior. It comes and goes as the movie pleases, because I don't really know what Yoshi's, like, actual, like, phil- phil- uh, philosophy on fighting is, because... Well, it's, a, it's the practice of, um... Not fighting, essentially. Like it's 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 to it's to be able to like keep your head and not engage and less engaged. That's what I thought it was. It was to like defend yourself if you're attacked, but don't lose your head. Right, and that's the whole thing. Like that's the hardest thing to master because if you're a fucking badass motherfucker, like a lot of people would just go around being a fucking bully. So that's like the thing. Like you know, with great power comes great res- great responsibility. Kind of shit. Oh. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> yeah, that'll come back up in a weird way. So, Jin's, uh, uh, Yoshi's seeing his family getting bullied, stands up, walks up to these dudes, and kind of silently stands there, and, and in a means to humiliate him, they grab a tub of wasabi sauce <laughs> and rub it on his fucking mouth, which immediately I was like, Ugh. It looked like some kind of weird sexual gesture, man, because he's, like, fingering his mouth with it, then he ends up eating the whole goddamn fucking thing. Kind of looks like he's about to vomit and starts wiping the wasabi on this dude's uh, suit, and so they naturally attack him, and 
Yoshi defends himself by basically grabbing everyone's fingers and just throwing them around the room, but in the process, trashes his uncle's restaurant in spectacular fashion. And then throws him out the fucking window. He throws him out two windows and the front door at the same time, despite the fact that those are three very distinct locations, and he has them at his shoulders and, in fr- and behind him directly, and has enough force with just their index fingers to throw them each 15 feet. Everybody's fighting abilities and skills and powers in this are, is like a fucking roller coaster, dude. It like it, it goes up and then it goes right the fuck down and then back up again. Because I, I hate the inconsistency of that. Oh yeah, no, I agree. No, yeah, I feel the same way. So Uncle obviously gets mad at him and he tells him to leave. And so Yoshi's dejected and does leave. So then we go back to Josh Hartnett and the Drifter. He's basically getting a taxi cab to this uh this this bar that Woody Harrelson told him about this Russian roulette bar where he's going to find this fucking essentially a poker game that he wants to enter for 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 means that we don't understand yet as a viewer I thought he just really wanted to play a fucking card game like he's Jones and so bad exactly things start out kind of ambiguous but then by the time this movie's been halfway over people just like start announcing their intentions more or less either indirectly or directly like it's a fucking anime yeah you think the narrator would help us out but he doesn't he's just he just comes in to drop some fucking question marks and fucking uh... he takes breaks and comes back in he's like do you miss me yet well i think that you know not to get on too much of a side tangent but i think they really were trying to make this almost like an anime style film because in the previous scene when they're you know in this uh restaurant they're all talking in japanese and they have this like a uh, comic book like slash manga uh speech bubbles that are just basically like old japanese plaques where the text comes in front of it for all their dialogue it's pretty cool actually this uh the the entrance to this bar is a it's an elevator but you walk into what is essentially like the chamber of a of a revolver pistol and it takes you down by revolving downwards and i'm like that is so over the fucking top and I wish it was in a different film. And then we walk into fucking Joel Schumacher's fucking Batman. Just waiting for fucking Dolph Lundgren to break through the fucking ceiling with the machine gun. <laughs> I was waiting for fucking George Clooney to fucking jump through the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Like, And then just whip out his fucking bat credit card and play a game or two. Yeah, never leave the bat cave without it. <laughs> Cha-ching! <laughs> gambling. I'm a gambling bat. Chris O'Donnell comes over. She's in love with me, Bruce. <laughs> Get out of here, bad boy. Boys, boys, stop fighting over little old me. Sounded like fucking Sam Whipple. Boys, boys, you can all play with my toys. Boys, boys, stop it. Let's play with my toys over here. Come on, I got a fire truck. Well, then, O'Connor, that's, they're, they're Mr. Whipple's toys. They're not your toys. You're not allowed to play with them. <laughs> I thought we established that. What's funny is that I started listening to Star Kid, and that was the last joke I heard before I had to go back to lunch. Oh, <laughs> So, yeah, Hartnett walks in, he kind of looks around, he comes up to this very European, uh, like, uh, uh, I don't remember what these dudes are called, like a pit boss, I guess. Banker, you know, cash out, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and he kind of, he asks how much does he get in this game, and the guy says, uh, too much for you, or a fortune, ha or something. 50k is what he needs. Yeah, yeah, it's 50k, yeah, and so Hartnett's like, damn, I don't have it, I'll be back later. I'm like, couldn't you have just gotten the, why was the scene here? You could have just come back later when you had them i don't know why we had to go through this whole nonsense of it like i get it established as a bar but it's it's essentially josh hartnett walking in and going okay and then walking away well because he comes in and he asks you know uh oh when's the uh, owner play implying nicola yeah and he's like oh always friday he never misses his friday card game and he's like okay and he leaves with that information yeah but like when we as the story unfolds like 
isn't that a piece of information that he would already know? You think? You do your research for your fucking, for your, for your revenge? Right, right. I mean, we'll go into it later, but basically the idea is he is after Nickel, and you don't know really why until, like, literally the last five minutes of the movie. And it's fucking stupid. Yeah. So, and then, if, you're, uh, if your neck hurts, well, I have bad news, because, boy, we're going right back to Yoshi. <laughs> So Yoshi, uh, following up on his uncle's advice, I suppose, either goes to, like, a red shirt's, like, bank or office or some shit? Yeah, he goes to, like, their stronghold or some shit where they're handing out the prosium. Yoshi goes to this kind of, like, building. It's, like, it's some kind of bureau, like, it's like a DMV or some shit. I don't know what it is. Some kind of informational building. But, like, there's also some dude in there getting a loan, and... He's got to sign a contract, and, like, I guess you sign contracts in blood, but instead of just, like, simply pricking your finger, you stick your finger into this, like, jigsaw apparatus where some dude... Yeah, Joe Pesci's there fucking sticking your head in there, like, in fucking casino. (laughs) In a vice. You stick your finger in this bullshit contraption, and then some asshole slams a plunger down, like, as hard as he fucking can to stab your finger. I'm like, what happened to a needle? I thought for sure that he was paying with a finger. Like, it was cutting a finger off completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, it's just, it's a little, he's like, ow! And then he just, like, puts his bloody fingerprint down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yoshi is kind of like, he he's, he goes to this office to ask about, I guess, the whereabouts of this medallion, or if he if there's one like it. Well, there's only one, because it's been passed down for generations. Yeah, while he's doing this, uh, the dude who runs this place, I guess his name is Eddie. Eddie! Hey, oh, Eddie! Eddie! He gets in this, like, super elaborate fucking steampunky phone, um, which even has, like, a, a cute little ringtone, and then calls Kevin McKidd's character, who's apparently outside, beaten on Balrog from Street Fighter. <laughs> Well, he's got the fucking uh, Total Recall TV. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I think it's just supposed to be one of those artistic things where it's like, oh, well, he's in a different place, and look, we're going to light up the fucking wall. Yeah, the wall, like, lights up as if it looks like he's outside, but the implication is probably that he's in a different location. He's on Mars. How did you get this number? This is an unlisted wall. Uh- <laughs> Told you not to call me here. <laughs> Not while I'm beating up Balrog. <laughs> yeah, Kevin McKinn is like fucking once again just chewing up scenery. He's fighting this poor asshole while just drinking tea and not even looking at him. <laughs> no. It's so fucking cool. I love this dude. I mean, he is a really cool fucking character, though. I, I love it. Yeah. Like, I kind of want him in a fighting game. Like, he's really cool. And um, so this dude is like, uh, so we have a Japanese guy and he's uh, asking about a medallion. And Kevin McKinn's like the same Japanese guy who went to a bar and beat up some of your guys. He's like, yeah, he's like, why is this even a problem, okay? Eddie goes, hey, you know, he's Japanese, right? Is there, you know, got anything to say about him? He's like, ah, he looks fishy. (laughs) Also, and like, Kevin McKidd's like, sir, tell me a Japanese guy who went to a Japanese bar is a weird thing. Yeah, but then he's like, he's like, how the fuck is this my problem? He's like, if you call me again, I'm gonna fucking kill you. He goes, if you bother me again, you will see the end of my dagger, literally, and then hangs up on him. Foreshadowing. This goose goes back inside, and he's like, well, Mr. Yoshi, blah, 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 lie, 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 deception, deception, here's a sneak attack. Sneak attack? They fucking surround him, and he's like, what is this about? He's like, oh, just a formality, and you got one motherfucker in the corner swinging a yo-yo around. Oh, he gets it first, yo-yo man. Fucking fireball champ gets it around the fucking throat. This fucking freakazoid gets, like, taken out first, because his he brought a yo-yo to a fist fight. Um... Which you think, like, that's the best armed man in the room if there's no guns, because that guy has the only projectile in this entire situation, so... Yeah, maybe if it had a buzzsaw on it, not just a basic-ass 
a basic ass yo-yo. Like, what the fuck did you think you were gonna do with that? So, what is he? He's he's got go-go's yo-yo. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, these uh these dudes gang up on Yoshi, who uh defends himself promptly and grabs a broomstick, breaks off the broom and treats it like it's a practice sword and starts. Oh, this is his fucking big move, guys. Like he uses this over and over again. Yeah, and then he starts bapping people with this thing, and I'm, I'm gonna use that word liberally because there's a lot of just like hitting people with sticks in this movie, and he just beating these dudes around. And then Eddie pulls out a fucking katana and starts taking the full samurai pose. And he's like, he's like, yeah, you're good, kid. Blah. And then Yoshi just throws his stick out a fucking window. He's like, I don't need anything to beat you up. Yeah, well, the guy's like, how are you going to beat me with a stick? And he fucking throws his stick out the window. But, like, this is the thing that... Throws it out the window. <laughs> the, the fucking screen just cracks. Fucking glass. It's like, you know, painted on there. I wasn't wearing my 3D glasses. But the glass breaks in a way that you would fold origami, so... That that visual aesthetic. I was waiting for fucking Jaws to come out at me. <laughs> Some kind of shock, mother. But so that aesthetic stays still there, and like you can see it in the floor and the walls. I hate that this guy has a katana. Yeah, because then he runs up to like attack this, you know. Japanese dude. It just doesn't feel right. It feels like stupid. Like, he should have some other kind of weapon. It is in service of the movie because, like, clearly Nichols' gang does not think highly of Japanese people. Um, because they all always talk down to this poor dude. Thankfully, Yoshi is always capable enough to make someone eat a shit sandwich afterwards. But there's a lot of, like, nasty shit that comes out of these dudes' mouths. Um, but again, the, 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 the upset, the, the swing of that is that Yoshi always makes these dudes just, like, eat it. And this dude runs at Yoshi with a sword out, and Yoshi just fucking makes him eat his toe. He just pump kicks him in the chin, and the fight's over. It doesn't even, like, it's a, there's not even, like, a good payoff. It's just like, oh, I kicked you, and you're down. Yeah. Or, excuse me, not cut. Weird, weird fucking over-elaborate transition. So, Yoshi goes to see Weirdy Harrelson, who I've said is the most important character in this movie, because he somehow gets every single character in this movie involved with each other by simply tending bar. He's a total dick to Yoshi. Yoshi goes, get me a whiskey, and he goes, which one? He goes, ah, oh, whatever you got. And this motherfucker gets up on a stool and gets, like, the most expensive thing off the shelf. <laughs> He's pouring it carefully. He's licking drops off the counter and making sure not a single one of it gets wasted. I wanted that whiskey so bad. Yeah, and he pours, like, a millimeter of it into his glass and he's like Yoshi's like how much and Woody Harrison goes 55 and <laughs> Gax is like for a glass like you didn't tell me which one <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I'm gonna be your mentor in about 10 minutes whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean 10 minutes like 10 seconds they go right into this shit because like Woody Harrelson's like he's drawing these little paper cutouts he goes <laughs> he goes <laughs> Yoshi's like what are, what, are, what are you doing? He's like, ah, oh, and then Woody's like, ah, oh, everybody needs their hobbies. He's like, what are you drawing shit? And he's like, no, I, I, I do pop up funnies. Pop up funnies. Pop up funnies. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? That's what he refers to this bastardized Spider-Man fucking story. Oh my god. This is so deliberate, like, I'm like, okay, the purpose here is to be so... On the nose? Yeah. On the fucking nose, that it just, it's assaulting you, because this is, he tells Yoshi the story of Spider-Man, and he's not tells, he shows him a book that he made, it's a pop-up book, with like... Yeah, pop-up. Pop-up funny. Yeah, it's kind of cool, honestly. Um, yeah. And it's the story of Arachnus the Arachnid, and he retells the story of Spider-Man. Arachnid fell down the well, and then got bit by a spider, and what he found out was that, you know, he had superpowers and you know she's like the spiders aren't special and he's like they can cl they can stick to walls man they climb on walls he had the strength proportional to a spider shut up and don't interrupt my story okay <laughs> 
can you shut up? I'm about to show you a picture of Sp- Spider-Man. Excuse me. I'm about to get to my discount Sinister Six, okay? Stop it. Yeah, yeah. Arachnoid Man fights Goro in Moon Knight. See that? And he joins up with Cyborg Man and Urkelbot, and he saves the goddamn world. And you know what? You know, the world was destroyed, but I got a whole stack of paper back here. <laughs> I got all the colored pencils you can ask for behind this bar. I found a burned out Michaels down the street. It was, you know, barely touched. So him and Yoshi have this, like, it goes on for a minute. And this kind of Arachnus thing. And, like, it's, they do the whole, like, it's Yoshi's trying to interpret the story. And he's like, and Yoshi even says, he's like, so you're telling me that when one has a lot of power, one must take responsibility with it. I'm like, just fucking say it. Like, <laughs> stop, stop dancing around Uncle Ben's corpse and just get out and get on with it. All right. <laughs> I used to know a man named Benjamin. I used to know a man named Benjamin. He knew a couple named Thomas and Martha. <laughs> Weird thing about that is both the fucking wives' names were Martha. Martha May. Josh Hartnett walks in. He goes, why did you use that name? <laughs> Never say my mother's name in the in a sentence. More of Nicholas' men are hanging out in the back of the bar. And um, so this is where I think Yoshi kind of finally drops like that. I guess he found out, I can't remember how, that Nicola has the amulet, or Nicola knows where the amulet is, or something like that. Like, he has to- Does he, though? He drops Nicola's name somehow. I don't remember how, exactly. Yeah, he's like, he's like I'm looking for a man named Nicola, and then um, Woody Harrelson's like, you're on your own, friend. And then he, like, goes to fight Nicola's dudes, and then Josh Hartnett walks in, and they all split. They all split, and then Yoshi gets ready to fight Josh Hartnett, and Josh Hartnett's like, calm down, weirdo, I'm just here to get a drink. Look, man, I just want to borrow $50,000, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> Can I just borrow a small loan of $50,000 to go play a card game? This is one of those stops in the roadmap to this movie where I was like, you could have condensed this because it involves entirely, like, new act, essentially, to get these characters where they need to go. Because basically the whole point of this scene is that these two sit down, they kind of, they, first they kind of have this begrudging kind of like, oh, hey, hey, cool, what's up, stranger, whatever. And they both sit down at Woody Harrelson's bar, um... And Woody Harrelson kind of starts, like, just talking about, like, leadership and revolution and stuff like that, and kind of says, like, and he starts taking scissors and kind of pantomime cutting around them, like, as they're sitting there. And, like, he looks like he's fucked up. He looks like he's drunk as shit. He is drunk as shit. Even the movie stops and it's like, wait a second. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta figure out a different way to do this. And then it stops and Woody Harrelson's like, hey, boys, if you're gonna fight, take it outside. Pause. And then, like, the camera, like, rotates around Woody Harrelson really slow. And then all of a sudden, we transition to behind his bald head. And all of a sudden, we're in a fucking Mortal Kombat, uh, a Mortal Kombat level. Yeah, but we get there because they have this, like, Woody Harrelson's like, you two could probably, like, be influential and help these people out, blah, blah, blah. There's some suffrage going on. But Hartnett stands up and he's like, yeah, I'll help you find your medallion if you give me $50,000, which I swear to God, I will totally not screw you out of totally paying you back. He says he'll double it. Yeah, Yoshi's like, you're a liar and a cheat, and I don't trust you. And that's when Woody Harrelson's like, hey, boys, you're in a fight. Take it outside. I'm going to go sit and drink and smoke and watch you guys. I'm going to take another shot. Another shot. Anyone want a shot? <laughs> I'm drinking mine anyway. I do love the fact that no matter where Woody Harrelson is in this movie, he somehow has a bottle of liquor. And a cigar. So they have this, like... Kind of overlong, but 
kind of interesting fight because they start off like, haha, I'm better than you, and it gets progressively more serious, and then, like, they start, like, choking each other out, and it ends in a stalemate. They just, they beat the fuck of each other. Yeah. They choke each other out. It starts raining, and the music swells up, and, like, trains going over their heads. Like, every single stylistic aesthetic you could throw at this fight, it's, it's it gets muddy. I'm like, you guys are just checking a list here. Like, <laughs> Yoshi fucking uppercuts Josh Hartnett into the fucking spike pit. They attempt the double choke slam spot, like Kane and Big Show have been doing for 20 fucking years and they both just pass out. Fucking John Tobias comes out and fucking goes, whoopsie! So the fight ends and they just both go back inside. And Woody Harrelson's like, all right, yeah, your system, yeah, cool. Revolution. I guess so. Here we go. Yeah, then slam cut to Demi Moore in a bathtub. She's fucking drinking absinthe. And she, and she's like, hey, did you ever see that movie From Hell? <laughs> When Johnny Depp is taking a bath and he's fucking drinking absinthe. When he's fucked up on laudanum. <laughs> he's dripping fucking morphine onto his fucking sugar cube. He's chasing the fucking dragon. Here's Demi Moore doing the same shit. Man, I felt kind of bad because, like, she's in this fucking uh, bathtub. And, like, she gets this big flaming glass of absinthe. And, like... Her eyes light up like she's about to eat a fucking slice of cake. And then it gets taken from her. I was like, give her back the absinthe. <laughs> well, she was drinking it first. She is the most depressing character in this film. She, Her character doesn't really have a point. This character is very, very... because One, because it's Demi Moore. And it's like, you took an actress of that caliber and you, get, you, you gave her a character that's so fucking tragic with no payoff. Yeah, it was literally zero. We never and we never find her. In, in fact, like in fact, the moment she leaves the movie is is way sadder in context when I thought about it, and it's not sad in a good way. It's sad in a horrific way. She enters the film and she exits the film without adding anything really to it. Like a fart in the wind, man. No, and it's more or less. It's a it's a motivation for Woody Harrelson, which we'll get to in a few minutes, because these few scenes. <laughs> I guess not really though. Well, yeah, but there's this this whole section of the film is stitched together, so like there's no ambiguity as far as what people's intentions are, which is where I said about being them being announced, because one scene that implies something directly leads into the next scene, which then follows up on the implication, which then follows up on a scene that follows up more on that implication. So by the end of these, like, four scenes back to back to back, you're like, I know everything uh, everyone's gonna do. That just hurt my head. You have this Demi Moore scene where she's getting out of this bathhouse and she's meeting with number two, and you get this whole scene where she basically says, oh, you know, I hate you, and... She's not supposed to be there, basically. Yeah, she's run away from the compound, but she also taunts this dude left and right because she is Nicola's prized possession. She's the woman he claimed and she's like i can spit on you i can talk down to you i can cuss you i can hit you he won't do a thing to me and like killer number two knows this and unfortunately has to take his rage out on like just other underlings yeah he kills the fucking guys that uh yoshi threw out of the fucking restaurant yeah well because these guys are supposed to be like looking out for for demi Moore, but like they have to do what she says anyway and number two's just like, yeah, well, uh, you know, I know it's not your guy's fault, but um, somebody's got to take the blame. And then fucking slits the throats. At the same time, and then you see both of them dying at each one of the lenses of his glasses. <laughs> he does this, like, fucking four times in this movie. Like, the same move. He always makes sure that there's two people standing shoulder to shoulder so he can just slash their throats with his foot. You'd think if you were in this universe, you'd be like, let's stand at least ten feet away from him at all times. If I knew that... Demi Moore taking me to an absinthe spa 
was going to result in me getting my throat slit, you you best you better believe that I would have had the fucking time of my life there. Uh, I would have taken a rain check. And then I would have just left. I would have been like, I, red, I'm not a red coat or a red whatever. So, yeah, I would I would just, like, left town. It's like, well, if I go, I'm dead, and if I leave, they'll hunt me anyway, so I'll buy myself a few days. I would have put that fucking suit on somebody passed out in the corner in that fucking spa and be like, oh, it was him. Since we're evoking Spider-Man so much, I would have just walked into an alley, stuffed it in a trash can, and said, I am red suit no more, and just walked away. <laughs> so she goes from this bathhouse to the brothel, essentially. She's getting talked to by, like, one of the other, uh, like, one of the other prostitutes there, and I guess she's... It's like a motherly figure, but we don't ever see this woman again until the end. And uh, it just randomly, like, cuts to, like, her, I guess her backstory or something that's all animated? It's a weird kind of motion comic thing where it basically implies it's all without dialogue. So it just shows her, what's supposed to be her and a boyfriend of sorts being attacked by Nicola and she... Now, is that supposed to be Woody Harrelson? It is 100% Woody Harrelson's character. You ever see Kill Bill? <laughs> This scene happens with her going back to the compound. Then it leads right into this this motion comic sequence where, like, Nicola attacks some dude, hurts his leg, and gives him a scar above his eye, and takes Demi Moore's character, whose name is Alexandra, away. You And the, the, the last shot of this motion comic you see is this dude's face, which then transitions immediately into Woody Harrelson's face. I'm like, okay, uh, so that's okay. very obvious who that's supposed to be, and you've left no ambiguity. Well, now, he, now he's like Master Roshi. He's the fucking mentor after one scene. Yeah, now he's mentoring these two, and even says, he says, I loved once, but all it got me was a limp. And he does have a limp. And in that motion comic, he's down, his leg is bloody. So that's that's the context clues are there. This should be delivered a little bit more explicitly and clearly instead of through all this like robust and just deliberately ambiguous means because again I feel like this director who also wrote this movie was never told don't do this do this instead right I, I wonder how much of that was like a budgetary thing or they didn't have the actors for as long as they needed them or they just assumed they were going to have this animation that would look awesome and like get the point across but it doesn't yeah exactly um so there's a long sequence between um the bartender, Yoshi, and the drifter in this bar, they all have a weird conversation about, like, like the Hartnett's characters being ambiguous to his in intentions and blah, 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 and it more or less ends with, and you can, you can interrupt me if I'm missing anything, but this is where it basically ends with Hartnett saying, if you lend me the money, I'll bring it back to you double. Yoshi says, I can't give you the money, and they both kind of separate. And Woody Harrelson's character is like, well, shucks, there goes my heroes. Right, you know, and then Woody, basically, this is where he also explains to, to the... To Josh Hartnett and uh, Yoshi about how, you know, Nikola has the nine assassins that always work with them or bodyguards. And, you know, you get that Lord dump. And, yeah, and this is where he also says where he's, yeah, you get the, you get the fucking the list that floats on the screen. Um, and this is where he says that, like, sometimes they just fight each other. The winner of that fight goes up in rank. And then, like, they just bring in someone to fill in the lesser number that needs to be replaced. You, you know, one of them, either Josh Harnett or Yoshi, is just like, oh, you know, I could see in your eyes that you still have fire in, in your eyes for fighting. And then, you know, they, they go off on their fucking side quest towards the uh, end of the movie. Kevin McKidd brings the Meemore back to Nicola, um, or Ron Perlman, um, and they have a kind of a long conversation, and it's this is, again, just more long conversations about Ron Perlman is more or less concerned about producing an heir. He's a Morton Joe, all right? That's the crux of this scene. He wants a fucking heir. He's getting older. He needs someone to take over his legacy. He can't really physically afford to properly defend his reign anymore and he's he wants to provide for alexander but she fucking hates him um because she says she basically 
thinks she, he treats her like a prize. She, he does. <laughs> also, what, he, Ron Perlman has these long fucking white braids, and he's dressed like a, a Viking or some shit. He looks like Grandpa Rob Zombie. Like, yeah, he sure does. He looks really dumb, and then he looks even dumber by the end of the movie. He's fucking Dragula-ing all over the place. She walks in, he's like, dig through the ditches and burn through the witches, cracks a walnut with his bare hands. <laughs> Slam in the back of my dragon. Jimmy Ellen Alexandra, give me a baby. Like a hunchback juice on a sentimental noose. Question mark. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna stop now. <laughs> and then he he's like, meet my number one, my killer number two. He's a super beast. He's more human than a human. So this this goes on for way too long, um, like five or six minutes. It's literally, I was literally sitting there like, when the fuck is this gonna end? Because it's just Ron Perlman fucking babbling on for fucking ten minutes. He looks more like Beast from Beauty and the Beast without makeup on in this scene than he did in the actual TV show with Linda. Hamilton like he looks like a fucking <laughs> a, a, an unwashed dog in this sequence this is where we get to Kevin McKidd's character goes back to this like this fucking bank or DMV or fucking whatever the fuck this place is where Eddie was and he walks up to him or like dances up to him because Kevin McKidd's character is never not in like perpetual motion or something um and this moment we see this dude, he's got his hands over his eyeballs and he's like I'm sorry he came in and he beat us up we tried to sneak attack him blah 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 um, Kevin McKidd's character is like, ah, it's cool, it's alright, and then it's, uh, just stabs him in the fucking eyeball, <laughs> and made him see the end of his dagger, guys. <laughs> I, I I like that gag. That was funny. It's a cool effect. He's more or less looking for Yoshi at this point because he wants to know who keeps fucking up his, his men. Um, and between Josh Hartnett and Yoshi, they're kind of doing a number on their ranks. So then McKidd's character, I guess, like, grabs what is supposed to be, like, the chief of police? Which... Now I have a question, because if you have Nicola's men who essentially do what they want and enforce law in the city, why the fuck do you have police? Fucking, he walks in and he's like, it's the tickle police over there. I could have sworn to fucking Christ he says the tickle police, and he grabs that dude, and he's like, what the fuck? Yeah, it might have been. I don't remember that line per se, but I know he grabs this dude and more or less threatens him. He, he tickles him. So we go back to the fucking bar, and Woody Harrelson and Yoshi are drinking again. It looks like Yoshi's kind of sauced. The police show up, and they ask who's been beating up Nicola's men, and Yoshi just starts fighting these dudes. Um, I... I was like, okay, is he just too drunk to know what's going on and just defend himself out of habit? Or was he just like, fuck the police and was like, just start throwing fucking haymakers? Oh, he starts wrecking these dudes. But then, like, when the police chief steps up and he says, like, you just assaulted four police officers. And he's like, okay, get in the car. Ah, crap. Now I'm under arrest. Well, Woody just walks away. He doesn't even try to stop them. Yeah, he's like, well, that's a damn tragedy. Well, better wait until the other guy shows up so I can get him in trouble. The chief is like, you assaulted four police officers. And Woody Harrelson looks at Yoshi like, yeah, well, you did do that. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you <laughs> fucked up. I didn't, I didn't even open my mouth. I sat here and watched you do it. Hartness character shows back up to the bar. This is like the central location of the fucking movie. And tells him, he's like, hey, Yoshi got arrested. And he's like, you should do something about it. So after like a baby, like, he kind of mulls it over and then he's like, all right. And then we get to what be my f my favorite visual action scene of the movie because the way it's filmed. So Hartnett does a prison break 
from top to bottom. Yeah. And he does this by jumping onto the rooftop of the prison uh, and shoulder-checking a guard on the way down. And he does that weird cigarette-smoking thing when he gets back up. Of course he does, because it gives him fucking power. It's kind of a cool shot, because you see it from, like, the ground up, and Hartnett comes and just, like, does a fucking AJ Styles phenomenal forearm to this dude and just knocks him the fuck out. And then he, he enters his prison, and you watch it as if it's a four-story old boy fight. Ah, how dare you in invoke that name yeah it's the best way i can do this for someone trying to picture it in their head picture the fucking watchman prison break but you're playing wrecking crew <laughs> it's just floor after floor after floor after floor and the way it's filmed is it like hardnet basically just goes left to right and just starts knocking guards out and every time he does it it's like a video game like coin select sound it's like beginning um, all kinds of stuff. And at some point, there was one shot where he sends a dude down a staircase. And because this is kind of like filming through floors, you see him drop from one floor. And then this dude's fucking body hits the staircase and tumbles down. I was like, that looked fucking painful. Well, you go from this to like super oddball comedy because he rescues Yoshi because he literally beats up every guard in this fucking building. And Woody Harrelson pulls up in a literal clown car. <laughs> And they pile in and escape. Woody, Woody Harrelson has a dream catcher hanging from his rearview mirror, and there's, like, whiskey bottles attached to it instead of beads. He also has a f small bonsai tree in front of it all. <laughs> what is with that? Is that his, like, lucky charm? I don't know. These people aren't, like under Japanese influence, so I don't understand that part, and it's fucking annoying. Drifter takes Yoshi back to his uncle's house and kind of drops him there, and then in what is, on paper, a super shitty move, Momoko's like, how did we repay you? And Hartnett's like, get the fuck out of my way so I can rob your cousin. Yeah. And then goes right over to his satchel and takes all of this dude's fucking money. And then goes to the fucking Russian roulette to play this card game. Yep. Uh, which is 50,000 enters. So he basically bleeds Yoshi dry of all his money. And they're like, his, his Mobico is like, you're an honorless pig, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, this dude helped you. And he's Hartnett's like, it's a loan. I'll pay it back. I swear. And then just backs out of the house awkwardly. Josh Hartnett at Russian roulette again. And he, he fucking slaps his 50K down. And the guy's like, step right up dumbass and he fucking presses the buzzer and he lets him in the back room and he thinks he's gonna play a game with nicola face to face but surprise he gets there and not only is it not nicola face to face who's on a fucking screen in his fucking stupid ass regalia yeah, his lydia costume <laughs> they show this the other participants and they're all this guy's fucking goons and it's like it, it's kind of a good sight gag because you see him like they have like one station that's got binoculars on somebody's cards another one's got like a, a video fucking feed they, they got guys standing above the fucking uh table like on the next floor just watching it all happen and relaying information to nicola yeah this is the fucking scene from dick tracy where he's like bugging everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, they're not even, you know, you guys said binoculars twice. They're not binoculars. They're fucking opera uh, glasses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're like, they're like viewfinders. They're like just magnifying glasses, basically. Like, they hold them up. So I'm like, with the stick, and they're all like ornate and shit. Like, you use them for the opera. Okay, so he's in his mountain fortress. How is he. Skyping in via film camera? What are we doing here? The technology in this film doesn't know what it wants to be. No, not at all. So so they, they show all this like cheating shit going on, and it's basically like supposed to imply that, well, I guess Josh Hartnett's gonna get his clock cleaned. Nope. The complete opposite happens. He literally milks them dry. But but the problem is with this, we don't see this happen, we just see him with a bunch of chips. Well, it's implied that like because 
they show the hand, the, you know, the, the crony that's fucking sitting in for Nicola shows the hand to the camera, and he knows the camera, and since he's got his cronies up top, they can see everybody else's hand. But, like, when he looks at it, he, like, sees the cards, and they're, they're like, a certain type of cards. Josh Hartnett somehow switches his card? Because he's got super fast hands? Is that what we're doing here? Are we like Gene Wilder? I have no fucking idea because they make a joke like, oh, put, you know, after he wins the first hand, they're like, ah, you know, hands on the table, hands on the table. And there's just a scene of his hands on the table and there's just like, he's still, but like his pile of chips is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Just It's a passage of time. So then it comes down to him and Nicola and he cleans everybody out. He gives all the chips back. He's like, I want to see you face to face at midnight in the town square. Here's all your chips. I'm taking my 50K back. Bye. I don't want to take this until you face me one on one, like you know, in real, you know, in real time. And he's like, you know, he takes his chips back, which I don't understand how he doubles the chips if he just takes what he carried in with him. No, it's it's a fucking ruse, man. That's what I was gonna get to that too. He like never like takes extra for like uh, Yoshi's family. He's just like, here's your fifty k back. Bye. But then yeah, he leaves and he 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 co- he goes back to Yoshi's family. He gives him the money. Oh, and he conveys to Yoshi because Yoshi, you know, he's going on. I need this medallion. I gotta find this guy with the medallion. And he goes, ah, I ha- let me have my Naruto flashback as he remembers that in the, the, the video feed, Nicolo had a gold medallion on. Deus Ex medallion that's just right there in the, the final boss's neck. MacGuffin bullshit, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I do want to say that during this poker scene, Kevin McKidd is present, and he's sitting there with two women who are filing his nails and rubbing his neck, and every time it cuts back to him, he's doing some kind of hilariously over-the-top physical reaction to something, and I, he's just a fucking treasure in this movie, and I love him so much. He's so good. Yeah, so so basically they they make the plan that they're going to go after Nikola. Yeah, well Hartnett is wants to face him in town square and that's what his plan is. <laughs> Which is kind of how this whole thing starts to come together, because it's like, I don't need you, I can do it myself, blah, 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 I don't know what your medallion is, bye. Right, and this is where we get this random scene of Ron Perlman tending to his fucking zen garden, Yeah. while number two basically is like chit-chatting with him, and he's like, hey, you know, you want to kill me? Come on, try to kill me. Yeah. Oh, his Starscream moment, I kind of like this moment, because he's like, he's, he's like, you know, I, how do I know you're not planning to kill me? You want to do it right now? And Kevin McKenzie's character's like, you're already running things pretty much, what do you think, little man? You want to fucking, you want to take my crown or whatever? Which I, I think is a kind of a cool character relationship because it's, I, I like the idea of like an overboss looking at his, his, his number one like operative going like, I mean, this is basically your operation now. So why don't you just finish the fucking job? Kill me and take it over formally. Like, what are you waiting for? Like, I like that idea on paper, but in this film, it just doesn't work at all. No, because it's, there's too much shit going on. We don't spend nearly enough time with these two. And I think that's part of the problem. Yep. So we go to this fucking, this midnight meeting where, uh, Josh Hartnick comes up to fucking Lydia and he goes, uh, you, you take the hat off, take the hat off. And then we are introduced to, oh, these fucking, these fucking freakazoids we, we get number four assassin apparently co- accompanied by the troop of rufios <laughs> and this motherfucker's dancing around doing backflips break dancing i hate these fucking characters because it's just like it's the parkour assholes from punisher warzone it's like there's no fucking reason for them to be here and the unfortunate truth is that no one blows him up with a fucking bazooka he fights the entirety of real big fish and they're doing like <laughs> acrobatics well he's fighting these guys and then it, it cuts back to the fucking restaurant and number two's there there, and, and it fucking uncles fight number two with fucking kitchen knives. Yeah, they basically, they go to look for Yoshi, they attack him at uh, uncle's apartment, and uncle goes from stout, strict businessman to furious, blade-wielding maniac in the drop of a dime. 
Um, and it starts... I like how he's slicing to maim and not to kill. Yeah, what is that about? Because he doesn't kill any of his guards, which is weird, but I guess it's supposed to be just... It's a character trait that we don't get any time with. Because he doesn't want to be, like, his brother or some shit. Yeah, he doesn't, well, doesn't want to be a murderer, yeah. But then, like, he goes to fight killer number two, and killer number two just fucking just murders him. Right, it, it, they kidnap Momoko. Yeah, they kidnap Momoko, and he's like, I'm gonna fuck you later. Come with me. Yeah! What was that about? He grabs her by the face and just, like, sticks his tongue down her and then she like slaps him he's like ah good save it for later I'm like <laughs> yeah it's it's even creepier in a little bit we cut back to Josh Hartnett fighting real big fish and then cue the fucking Scott trumpets as Yoshi jumps into the scene to f- help him out oh man I really wish this like the, the background of this theme music was like take me well that's what it was it was like and then Yoshi jumps in it was, dude. It was fart gone all over. That's what you know, the, it, it really was. Ugh. And then you know they 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 fight for a little bit, and then here comes fucking Woody with the Oscar mobile. <laughs> come on, guys, come on. So yeah, they get into the, the Woody Harrelson's little escape car, and then this becomes becomes GTA two. Yeah, literally. Yeah, an overhead shot like a fucking uh, I can't remember what that camera's called, but the uh, the type of game it is. Bird's eye, top down. Yeah, and like they're driving around, they fucking make their escape by driving onto tri- uh, railroad tracks. But Woody Harrelson's car is just small enough to pass through a tunnel that these red suit cars get piled up in, making fucking Pac-Man sounds. They all look like like the Joker's men's car from Bat- Tim Burton's Batman, but just red and black. It's Two Face's car from fucking yeah. forever. <laughs> <laughs> so this. Car chase stops, and Woody Harrelson's like, we outrun him, we outran him, cool, and then kill number four and seven, I think that's what they are, just kind of materialize him off side screen. Well, you know, he takes the clown car to the fucking circus, and I almost freaking fell over. <laughs> oh my god, this fucking scene, okay. So stupid, this scene, sorry. I think there's a juxtaposition here that's supposed to make sense that doesn't get conveyed, or I am way too forgiving and took something from this that's not happening. So basically, Yoshi says... I'll take the swordsman. I'm like, that makes sense. And then so Josh Hartnett's character's like, I'm left with fucking Dumbo over here. You have to fight this fucking circus freak. In terms of embarrassment, I would have fought the swordsman because if I died to a swordsman, I would have felt a little better than dying to a literal trapeze swinging, trampoline bouncing goofball. This fucking flying Grayson motherfucker is like jumping on a trampoline with Josh Hartnett? Fighting him? To set this up visually for you guys, Josh Hartnett follows this idiot into a circus tent that's just fucking there. It's like Beetlejuice's uh, fucking uh, uh, whorehouse. It's just right there. Yeah, it's spelled with like a K and shit because you know it's kooky. They walk in and it's a trapeze set up and this dude's already up there and Hartnett's character, afraid of heights, takes a while to get up there and he's like, okay, I guess this is how we're fighting. We're fighting with trapezes. And then they both get in a fucking trapeze, swing, and just smack into each other. And fall into a fucking trampoline net. And they fall into a safety circus net, and then this dude is bouncing. It's backyard wrestling, basically, is what ensues. Like, this dude's bouncing all the place and doing Eddie Gordo kicks to Josh Hartnett's face. <laughs> and he's spinning all the place, and Josh Hartnett's like, Brr, I don't know how to land my footing on this nonsense. Josh Hartnett's like, if I can just get one good punch, one punch. If I can get my hands on you this fight is over and it is he gets his hands on this dude and breaks his fucking neck breaks his neck i guess is that what happens it happens so quickly i'm like what the fuck it's almost like he punches him in the face but then like when they did the edit they're like shit that doesn't look good enough to kill him let's just add the sound effect of a neck breaking right that's what i thought heart neck goes to like drop down from the the, the net and falls right in his face <laughs> i think the thing is though outside 
Yoshi is having this fucking bloody fight with this swordsman and, like, stabs this dude, like, six times. Well, he's got a spear. He's got a spear, Yoshi. He has a real fight with this dude that's, like, really hard. I think what's supposed to be is that this, the Drifter character is very serious and goes in and fights this, like, idiot. And then Yoshi, who's the one who's kind of looks the, mo- the most, like, the less experienced of the two, has, like, a real duel with a real killer and wins. Twice. This is the first one. Yeah, um, but it's just so fucking dumb looking, and this could all been condensed, and maybe you put these two goofballs at the end of the movie or something? Yeah. No, because we have to fight two other guys that look like us. They're fucking doppelgangers. They're fucking tethereds they gotta fight at the end. Excuse me, it is the mirror match, okay? Because it takes place right before the final boss in the arcade ladder, okay? That's exactly where it was placed! This is when we transition right into the third act of the film, where Woody Harrelson drops this bombshell... I think it's time for you guys to meet the general. And I was looking for Shaquille O'Neal and a fucking penguin to walk in. (laughs) Who could fucking care about this general, motherfucker? Who could care? Woody Harrelson takes these two to meet this Sid Haig-looking motherfucker who's dressed in, like, Spanish military apparel. Yeah, he doesn't have any lines. It's time to lead the revolution. I'm like, where was this plot thread the rest of the film? The revolution where all your warriors look like uh, fucking chimney sweeps from Mary Poppins. He has a fucking army of newsies. He sure does, and they're fucking they're fucking sporting katanas and doing karate and shit. I'm like, what the fuck? There's a quick back and forth where it's like Hartnett's like, these this is stupid. I'm not sieging his fucking fortress with a bunch of like factory workers. This is dumb. That's a hundred dead people out there. With pitchforks and fucking pickaxes. And then Woody Harrelson has like some words of wisdom, because I guess that's like his character trait. Oh, he's 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 a mentor. His character is for him to go is for him to go, revolution? Come on, and now it's time revolution let's revolutionize come on do it let's do it over oh, to revolutionizing yeah like, whiskey whiskey and then they revolution well they have this fucking insane animated montage that's like got it yeah the only way i could explain it is out of like a bond intro yeah it looks like a fucking ipod commercial yeah it's like them getting their fucking lord of the rings like galadriel uh upgrades <laughs> You know, Josh Hartnett's upgrades fucking brass knuckles, and and Yoshi gets a goddamn bow and arrow. Yeah, he sure does. And he takes a sword from the swordsman he just killed, which makes sense. An elvish blade. That's your transition into Ron Perlman chopping wood. Uh, Woodcutter's like, you know, I kind of hope they they make it through the front gate and into this fortress because I kind of want to see some action. I think he said something along the lines of, like, I'd rather be killed while I'm still craving life than just basically be waiting to die. I hope there's a war. Here we go. Again, I like that, but this character's not present enough for me to really give a shit about. I wish Ron Perlman was the the general, inciting his own war against himself because he's bored. There's, there's, there's some good stuff. But, um, yeah, so he basically tells killer number two, he's like, no matter what happens, you're staying inside with me because I know if I turn my back, you're probably gonna stab me. And then big fight number one. Big fight number one, because now we have, this is a full-on hundreds of extras brawl outside of Nicholas Compound, and we meet, we meet the, uh, we meet the other killers, and then DJ from Street Fighter shows up. (laughs) He's got a big chest full of bison bucks trying to get out of there. Meanwhile, the movie keeps cutting back and forth to Nicholas shaving his fucking beard for like 10 minutes. With an axe. <laughs> and Woody Harrelson does have a moment where he finally joins the fight and does something, but like he has he his- He trades his fucking crutch in for a baseball bat. <laughs> 
they have this big fight and fucking Balrog from earlier shows back up and he gets his face absolutely fucking demolished by Josh Hartnett's character. Balrog fights Woody Harrelson. The two ball characters fucking square off. <laughs> well, he's bald, so I'll take him. So, yeah, Yoshi and, and Drifter deal with these um these the rest of these remaining killers, leaving pretty much Woodcutter and Killer Number 2. The brothel's on fire, and that's where we get Demi Moore's exit from the movie, which, okay. It's blink and you miss it. Momoko is in there before getting, like, aggressively made up for Kevin McKidd's character by a bunch of, like, other prostitutes who are holding her down and have her tied to a post. And, like, Demi Moore's character is like, will you, like, stop? Like, give it a rest. We all should have, like, given her a rest a long time ago. But doesn't actually do anything about it quite yet. But then, like, the the compound gets set on fire and this this brothel gets set on fire. So Demi Moore's character, Alexander, is trying to free Momoko who tells her, no, just leave. Like, there's no point in staying here. But Woody Harrelson's come, her character comes in like a second later and frees Momoko. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I got my one-eyed Jack's coin. He picks her up to go to leave, and Alexandra comes back with a pair of scissors. She never left. She went to go help Momoko, and they stop and they have a moment of like, this is their big reunion. And then the building collapses on Demi Moore and kills her. And she's dead. And this is the moment it clicked for me. And I was like, oh, I guess that was his ex-wife. Are you telling me the moment in this movie from a story perspective is like? Their their reunion after not seeing each other after being you know separated is what got her killed. That is so cynical and mean spirited. It made my fucking head spin. Like that's so nasty. Like not only is it nasty, but it's completely fucking pointless. It's a cop out because it's it's there's no proper resolution to that little no. seed you planted. So it's just like ah she's dead. And then Woody Harrison reacts as if he just got told like I don't know. His dry cleaning wouldn't be done till Friday. The Giants lost the Super Bowl. Oh! (laughs) He's like, ah, shit. She died, and I heard her screaming in flames. Whatever. Go fight Nicola now. So then he just kind of hangs back. Well, they, you know, Josh and uh, Yoshi go in and fight their fucking doppelgangers, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's what that is, man. It's, it, it is, there is some interesting visual touches because when they get into these rooms, like, Hartnett sees someone who's dressed like him and it's kind of has similar mannerisms. Kind of! It's not even really that close. Like, Yoshi looks nothing like his doppelganger. Yeah. The thing with Yoshi's was more, they're, they're literally mirroring each other up to a certain point where they're sitting down across where they both draw swords on opposite sides of their bodies and they kind of circle each other. It's when they change stances that you see they're, you know, not mir- reflections anymore. But like, I just don't understand, like, putting that idea in the viewer's head, but not, like, going all the way with it. Like, why couldn't it just be like, hey, he uses a sword and this guy uses his fist. Why do they have to look, you know, vaguely similar? They got to do stunt doubles. Let me ask you a question. Why the fuck wouldn't Yoshi fight the cowboy and Josh Hartnett fight the samurai? That makes more sense, but I think it was supposed to be like... You know, the whole uh, dark side cave thing where it's like, what's in there? Whatever you bring with you. <laughs> they both beat their their duplicate, essentially, with no fucking problem. You know, one hit KO kind of stuff. Well, well, Hartnett has a problem because the first move in his fight is that both dudes punch each other in their face, which I kind of chuckled at. Hartnett has a problem with every fight he has. Also, they're straight up mirroring themselves because they're like punching each other in the fucking hands at the same time, in the face at the same time. I like the choreography of their fight because it's it's close and the sound editing is nice, so like it sounds like a dirty boxing match and looks like one. These dudes are up close just throwing haymakers at each other. and then, But it just ends with like fucking, oh, it ends with the drifter taking one of Yoshi's throws and just knocking this dude out. And then like Yoshi stabs the other dude and beats him. So they go on, and then, by the way, it's in 
it's in rooms that are like across from each other in like basically if you were to walk towards the center of this building these two rooms are on opposite ends of the building it's a fucking yakuza hideout from punisher that's what it is so then they advance through their doorways uh at the end of each fight and there's killer number two sitting there waiting for them um who looks up and sees hartnet walk through first and he's like oh cool and then yoshi pops through he's like "Ooh, double fun like <laughs> where is the big fight between those two and him and where he whips both their asses and then like dies you know what i mean like i wanted that that would have been so satisfying because he i think i think the thing here was that he has been deliberately shitty to yoshi and his family and his heritage well, yeah. and his language and his culture that it makes a lot of sense for yoshi to be the one to go face him alone well he also killed his uncle so oh yeah um so then that leaves hartnett to go take on ron perlman who hartnett runs into this fucking room and gets a nego montoya <laughs> He runs in and starts talking wise and gets an axe right to the shoulder and just sits there and bleeds for like six minutes. Well, because it's all about timing. While this is happening, like, he gets an axe to the chest and then we spend a few minutes with Kill Number 2 and Yoshi. And this is probably my favorite fight in the film because I'm like, this has weight to it because this character is very mad at this fucking despicable, detestable piece of shit. And it's just fun. Kevin McKidd is still being as good as he was earlier in the film. But this fight ends where Kevin McKidd gets a few good blows on Yoshi, stabs him a few times, but then takes the moment to stop and gloat. And he gloats forever. He turns his back on Yoshi, who picks his sword back up and impales him to a cherry blossom tree i think he fucking runs him through right into the fucking tree trunk and then we cut back to fucking and then uh yoshi busts in on fucking ron perlman and josh hartnett and ron perlman's like why who are you why are you here he's just speechifying all the who are you what's your purpose blah 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 you know here's a tip Kill me when I'm when my back's turned. I'm a bad guy, and bad guys don't get to the top by being honorable. Yeah, and then Yoshi runs in with uh with with Deus Ex bow and arrow. Oh, Jesus! And uh takes a shot, and he goes to shoot the woodcutter, but Hartnett kind of waves him off, and uh instead he shoots the medallion right off Ron Perlman's neck. Who's Ron Perlman kind of gives like a uh, look when it happens to claim it, but like it's. That story's never never wrapped up. I was waiting for the second after that happened for his hair to turn like thin <laughs> and his face to turn into like all gaunt and shit. Like I don't know what the point of this medallion was. He gets Dorian Gray like right there. He's like, no. See, that would have been awesome. <laughs> but it goes nowhere. That would have been awesome. Or like he transformed into a different guy. Yeah, he's Grindelwald. <laughs> he's Johnny Depp. So then he goes. So Yoshi goes to take another shot at Ron Perlman, and Josh Hartnett's like, "No, don't do it. Give me that arrow." And he breaks it in half. And then Ron Perlman's like, "See, you're a big fucking stupid idiot. You fucking should have took the shot, and you didn't." And he takes the biggest axe he has in this fucking stump, and he goes to kill Josh Hartnett. And Josh Hartnett like appears right behind him and fucking stabs him in square in the throat with the tip of the arrow. And then he's like. You killed my pa. Is that what happened? Well, the whole crux is, you know, like we were talking about earlier, Niccolo's going on about, you know, oh, there's always someone stronger out there than you. And Josh Hartnett, he goes, yeah, you know those words you were just saying? You know the man that told you those words? It was my father. And then he dies, like, right after he says that. There were little seeds planted, and I was going to mention this when we got to this moment. And, like, it was, like, ten minutes prior to this scene in particular. It's Woody Harrelson walks up to the drifter and says... You're, he would be proud of you. He was kind of a legend in these parts. And then kind of gives him a pat on the shoulder and sends him up. Stupid. Nicola dies, uh, and then Woody Harrelson's like, We revolutioned! Alright, it finally happened! Off screen. And then he he basically is like, Well, you know, Yoshi, uh, Drifter, whatever your name is, we never got it. 
Uh, here's my final pep talk. Uh, I'm gonna go back into my bar and, uh, you know, because I've worked my whole life so I could just pour drinks the rest of it. He's like, he's like, hey, we're, I'm, we're, let's open up a sushi sake regular bar. What do you say? And everybody's like, yup. And then fucking Yoshi and Josh Hartnett shake hands and they fucking fart and then we cut to credits. And then we get the line of the movie as Josh Hartnett looks up at fucking Yoshi and goes, I'm a product of a fucked up generation. As he lights a cigarette. Yeah, he says, um, I'm part of a fucked up generation. I can't even find a sunset to walk off into. Um, and then Yoshi says, tomorrow's a brand new day. And who could give a fuck? Nope, I couldn't. And then Mike Patton kicks the door back open and goes like, and that's our tale of life and strife in this town of violence. Goodbye. Yeah, where are we put in this movie? In the fucking dumpster, sir. I'm going first, because fuck you. This was the most pointless pile of shit that I've seen in a long time. It, it was like, it was like, okay, so it's visually striking. Great. The art department did a fantastic job. Everything looks really awesome. Everything looks cool. The animations are cool. Um, but there is fucking zero substance to this film. Um, it's the plot is so kind of all over the place. Your focus shifts so much, you forget what the fuck you're watching. And it's two fucking hours. It is long. Of just going back and forth into different shit that has nothing to do with the main plot. So yeah, uh, there's in a vacuum, there's some cool parts uh, right in the fucking dumpster for me. And to be perfectly honest, this is going at the bottom uh, for me. So, this is the second time I've seen this, and I liked it more than the first time I watched it, but critic, because the first time I watched it, it was alone in my room, and it was on Netflix, and I'd seen a trailer, I was like, fuck, this looks interesting, I want to see this. Now that I've watched it through, like, critical eyes, because now I have to pull it apart, this is both not good enough to be great, and not bad enough to be like, wow, this is, like, spectacularly bad, because this movie has lots of talent involved in it, it has lots of interesting artistic decisions, um, some of the fight sequences are fun, uh, I like the music, but all that stuff is okay if it's, like, platter per platter, but when you try to put it all into, like, a fucking meal, it's like, no, no, this is bad, and I have trouble recommending it to people, because unless you know full well what you're getting into, you could really not like this, and it could really not be for you, and I read a script, I read a quote from a review that said, um, if Guy Mosh put as much effort into the screenplay as he did everything else, this might have been something special. But it's not, and he didn't. So, yeah, unfortunately, this this would be a shelf movie 10 years ago, and now it's a dumpster movie. But I'm not putting the bottom, because, like, I do have a soft spot for some of the things in it. But I can in no way condone the final product, because, as you said, it's two fucking hours. And, I and the, by the way, the special effects took 19 months to finish. I may watch it again, I may not. I watched, I haven't seen it. This is the first time I've watched it since the last time I saw it, so maybe it doesn't have that much value to me, but I do like things about it. But yeah, no, it's 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 very flawed. It should be better than it is, and that's yes. a problem. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. This movie, you guys know Nyan Cat? Yeah, Nyan Cat, yeah. Yeah, the flying, the flying Pop-Tart cat. Yeah, you, you take Nyan Cat, you take this fucking cat slapped onto a Pop-Tart flying through space, you put that in a blender with the dog shit that was in the fucking dumpster in Star Kid, and you, you just hit blend, and you know what, you, you pour that in a fucking cup, and you don't even drink it, you just dump it right in the dumpster, because that's where it belongs. Uh, this film, you know what, 
The effects look cool, but, you know, 19 months, holy shit. The acting's not great. You know, the fight scenes, to, for me personally, were boring as shit. And, uh, you know, I just really wasn't feeling it at all. Um, yeah, bottom of the dumpster, that's where this ends up. Kind of in a corner, I'm going to say. That that sounds right to me. You know, all pool, gelatin pool of it in the bottom right corner. <laughs> after, you know, this, this slurpy of a fucking shit stream slides down. No, I, I think in summation, like, it's a whole lot of ambition that is wasted on a fucking bad script oh yeah it like real bad and i i still can't get past the fact of the star power in this film that tr- they tried to save it like i didn't i've never even heard of this film and there's a reason why hollywood was like we get the shovel we're fucking burying this motherfucker we're like ron perlman and demi moore and the rest all just like on vacation for a few weeks while they shot this well no and and not to go off another side tangent this is really quick like if you the, the the stuff I read from them after they'd done filming it, they all had good things to say about it because a lot of the stylistic choices they were really into, and I guess the characters they liked a lot. And Peter Dinklage had a lot of good things to say about tiptoes before the fucking movie came out. <laughs> Unfortunately, we know how that turned out. So that's it. That's Bunraku from 2010, directed by Guy Moshe. Hey, everybody. If you want some more bad movie goodness, you can check us out at moviedumpsterpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Podbean. And make sure to leave us a five-star review if you dig the show, because it helps us get out of the bottom of the dumpster into more eardrums. Yeah, and if you're on the social medias, you can follow us at Movie Dumpster on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you want to support indie comic books, you can head over to Indiegogo.com and look up the project Fishtown. That's by our buddy Dave DeForn, who does all the artwork for the show. Uh, you want to support indie comics. I'm Joel Escola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor McGraw. Thanks for visiting the dumpster. Man needs a hobby. Mine's pop-up funnies. Pop-up funny? Oh. It's for children. No. It's for people with imagination.